growing a company is it's hard. It's it's hard to hire. It's hard to find good people. It's hard to figure out what you need to build. Sometimes it's just timing and luck. Like mm-hmm. sometimes it's like something you build is super successful. But what we always had going for us is that the brand people love the brand. I'm Jim Huffman, and this is If I Was Starting Today, a collection of conversations about half-baked startup ideas, growth tactics, and stories from founders, including my own journey as a business owner. All of the content is centered around one question. What would you do if you were starting today? Today on the podcast, I have an old friend of mine, Timur Tinziper. Um, Tamor has a real interesting story. He's a software engineer that started his career at NASA, and then he decided to get into startups. He joined Zynga in the early days and saw that all the way through IPO. He then moved from San Francisco to New York, where he jumped on at Code Academy to really run their engineering team and saw that to an exit of $575 million dollars. We compare notes on whether you should start your own thing or jump on a rocket ship and be a key member of that team like what he did. And then at the end, I have him give some half-baked startup ideas or frameworks on how to come up with them from the perspective of someone that's technical, someone that's worked at a big company and ideas you could pull out of it. So really hope you enjoyed this episode with Tamor. Tamor, how do we know each other? I think we met through an introduction with a mutual friend in New York City and probably around 2013, right? 2014. Ooh, yeah. Th- it was a bar in Silicon Alley, I believe. In oh, New York. Silicon Alley. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, so we, we hung out. Then we didn't talk for like a year or something. Or yes, we, we hung like, out. We, we had one of those like awkward blind dates <laughs> that, uh, that, you know, two, two gentlemen can have. And then we never saw each other for like a year after that. And I don't remember how, again, we started ha- hanging out again, but I, I remember that meeting you and I remember liking you a lot. And we riffed a lot about various things that we were doing and, but then just kind of disappeared. <laughs> yeah. Well, then, then we reconnected and it was right as like, after I was like married. I think you had just gotten married and like our wives got to hang out. Cause they, I was even telling my wife, I was like, I guess I'm talking tomorrow. Tomorrow she goes, man, he was fun. And, and I like that that was kind of her reaction because you would take us to some places that had some, you know, non-Western traditions that we would go to. And I walk in and there's like vodka shots in my face. I'm like, I haven't even had an appetizer. And the nights would always go well, down. The appetizer. Yeah. They'd go down an interesting direction. But it's also fun to like talk to people. I think we're at phases of our careers where, well, at least you, I think you had a better path than I did. Like, I was clueless trying to figure out what the heck I was going to do. I like worked in investment banking. All of a sudden, I'm at startups. I always wanted to start something. So it's this weird phase of a little bit of insecurity, a little bit of excitement. And I love talking to you because you were in San Francisco before New York. You were working at these insane high growth companies. And it was something I wanted to be a part of. So it's it's really fun to have peers that you can just compare notes with because everyone is trying to figure it out. No, I, I, you know, what I always, I think, appreciated about, about you is I saw your hustle just like from, you know, when we met basically, like 
you were always interested in what was going on. You were asking questions. You're wanting to meet people. And I, I always appreciated that, that drive. And, you know, when I found out that you started your own thing, it made sense. It was like, yeah, like that, that, that was Jim's path. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. So I'm, I'm really happy to see that that happened. Okay. Do, do you want to take credit for a hundred percent of it? Cause I'm about to give you credit. Cause you know, there's like the seven degrees of Kevin Bacon. I was in New York at that startup and I knew I wanted to like get into teaching marketing and I wanted to get into a general general assembly thing. And they wouldn't respond to me. And I was like, I know I'd be good for this. I know I'd be good if they wouldn't respond. We were like getting beers like, oh yeah, I teach a general assembly. They hired me to teach the website development classes. And by the way, people are still like, who the heck is Tamor? We will introduce you in a second. And I was like, dude, I was like, do you mind introducing me? Like, oh, sure. I get one email from Tamor. Like, oh, come in tomorrow. We'll talk to you. I started teaching general assembly. That opened up the door to Techstars. At General Assembly, I got my first client and my, actually my first five clients. I started Growth Hit and now here I am today. All because of you, man. You you carry some weight. Great. Where's my equity equity <laughs> check? Is there is there coming in the, in the mail? Yeah. But that's, you know, I think that's how it happened. I think about my own career and kind of like how I ended up where I ended up. And I love to say that a lot of it had to do with my amazing, brilliant technical skills, which... <laughs> are obviously great, but as much had to do with getting out there and meeting people. So, you know, as much as like a, a lot of developers are, you know, brilliant technically, being like social, being able to talk to people, making friends is also very important. And just like being genuine and paying it forward, you know, like if if somebody introduced you to something or you have an opportunity that you make sure to pay it forward because you never know. It's so true not to burn bridges because you never know who knows somebody, especially in the agency, because not all engagements can go well, but it's like end on a positive note because you never know. We've even had some like did not go well. Then six months later or a year and a half later, someone's like, oh, yeah, we worked with you. We know it didn't go well, but we liked how you guys did this. And would you like do this for this company? And I'm like, really? Like after that engagement, that that's amazing. Right, so first off, tell give people a little perspective on your background. Yeah, my, my professional career out of college, I went to UC Berkeley, so in the Bay. And, you know, Berkeley is a good technical school. There's a lot of a lot of different things happening. I wasn't like the greatest student, probably, but I always enjoyed coding. I always enjoyed playing with computers. I think it's something that like my dad instilled in me. So after school, I kind of like was looking around like, where where can I land? And this was, you know, 2005, 2004, 2005. So I kind of applied out of, out of school to to uh, this government job and got it and said, you know, what the hell? Why not? Let's let's try it out. I think I quickly found out why people don't like necessarily working for the government. Oh, like just younger people, I would say. I think that the pace is very, very slow. I think that the technical challenges are a little bit outdated, meaning like, you're probably working with things. I don't know how it is now, but back then that was definitely the case that you worked with just technology that was a little bit outdated. There's not a lot of open source stuff, very you know traditional. I think we're my first my first kind of like task was to work on these like Sun Microsystem computers, and I don't even remember if Sun Microsystem was still around at the time when. <laughs> so NASA just had these like massive server farms full of like these you know Sun Microsystem blades and all this equipment that now seems you know ancient. But, you know, that job was kind of, it kind of piggybacked on this job that I did through college, which was basically IT help support and at the business school at, at Berkeley. And that was like my first introduction to like virtualization, 
It was like VMware virtualization. I think I the first version of VMware virtualization. So like very like early VM stuff. And um, the job was, was, was stable. It was great, but it really was not exciting. So at around, after about a couple of years of that, I kind of looked at my network and saw where, where are my friends working? Like, where are the people that I knew in college? Where, what are they doing? And this was 2008. So as I started looking in, into jobs, I realized very quickly that the market just wasn't, it just wasn't there. But there were definitely still a few companies hiring. And I came across this, this, this company called Zynga. And I realized that I had a friend, a good friend that worked there. And I was like, okay, this is, you know, I can leverage that friendship to like, at least get an introduction. And I messaged my friend, Jason, and I was like, hey, like, I'm looking to switch careers. Like, is there anything like, you know, open? And Jason, like, immediately referred me to the recruiter and that got the ball rolling. And I got an interview, which was nerve-wracking experience because I had no experience in any of the web technologies that they used for their games at the time. And I had no experience in anything that they wanted other than like, you know, I knew how databases worked. I knew like how operating system worked. I knew like Linux really well. I knew all these things really well, but I had no direct experience in like building games, working on web games, like none of that stuff. And my interview, I think, didn't go so well. I met with five or six people. I think maybe three of them liked me. I think the rest didn't. But more importantly, the hiring manager did not. Was like basically at the end of the you know interview cycle, he he called me in back for for a chat with him and basically said that like, look, uh, there's no reason why I should hire you. There's ten other candidates in my pipeline. There are more, you know, there are more uh, seasoned, more experienced, you know that. that that I can just hire tomorrow. And like, there's no reason why I should hire it. And I was like, okay, like, uh, I mean, that's fair. And I tell, I tell him like, well, I don't remember if he said it or if I said it, or if my friend Jason said it, somebody said it because Jason was there in the room, which was not also not traditional. Like he shouldn't have been, but that's, a separate, <laughs> that's a separate thing. I think somebody brought up the idea of like a coding challenge being like, Hey, like we're going into the, this was a Friday. So like, Hey, we're going into a weekend. This is what we do here. Let's come up with a coding challenge. And if you do it, over over the weekend, then we like graded by Monday, and like we like it, it's a done deal. We'll the, wow. have an offer next week, and I was like, okay, great, let's do it. So they like, went home, and by like, six p.m. or seven p.m. on Friday night, I had in my inbox this like document describing what they wanted me to do, which essentially was build a game on Facebook. This was like the Facebook API had just come out, Facebook apps and all that. So basically, they, they said, build a working word game on Facebook, and it needs to be like, you know, fully hosted, accessible, and it needs to have these, this functionality. <laughs> and it, you know, had some sort of like feature list that, that they, they requested, all those other things. And, you know, I opened this thing up, I read it, and I'm like, fuck, like, this <laughs> is, I was like, like, I have to, now I have to learn PHP, which I didn't know. I had to learn my SQL and Apache, which I, I knew those things that that wasn't really a problem, but I had to figure out where to host them. And then I had to figure out how to get the game to them. I had to build it. I had to figure out the Facebook API, which I didn't know. Yeah. And I had to do that over the weekend and kind of have it done by, by Monday, basically. And I remember just like kind of diving into it that Friday. And basically like at around 1 or 2 a.m. on Friday, I was like sending the hiring manager links to this very rough thing that I had, that I had done. Mm -hmm. It was kind of functional, but it wasn't like fully done. 
And then, you know, on Saturday, I, I improved it and made it a little bit better. And by Sunday, I kind of had this like thing that was like more or less working and close to what they wanted, but there was no way I was going to finish it like fully. And I think that that, the fact that I think that I was a willing to dive into it on the weekend, by the way, none of this is healthy. This is, I, I, was, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to make this sound like this is the way you get a job or whatever. You gotta grind. You gotta hustle. Yeah. yeah. I don't I think you do have to grind and hustle, but I don't think that this was necessarily a very healthy situation. I think it's like not very not inclusive because like I had a family, if I was a little older, like none of this would have happened. Yeah. But the point is that like I had this experience that was very much like, holy shit, now I have this job offer. And then, you know, the process of accepting the job, that's also like a, you know, a shit in your pants type of situation, pardon my French, because now I have to leave the stability of this other job that I've just gotten to really know well and kind of have good rapport with my boss and everybody else I work with to kind of know the landscape to joining this, like what felt like very much like a Wild West type of situation where like, because it was growing so fast, because everything was changing so fast, there was really nobody to teach me anything. I had to, I knew that I would have to basically dive into everything myself. And I and I didn't know a lot of it. I didn't know the technologies. I didn't know, like, I did, definitely hadn't worked with anything that was, like, at scale like that before. And, you know, like, I think that first year was probably a blur working yeah. there. And then it kind of became normal. And then, it, you know, just kind of, I, you know, I learned what I need to learn. I, I figured out what I need to figure out. And then it kind of progressed from there. And I think that the reason why I left Zynga was, I, you know, a lot of companies go public and then they everything changes. And uh, that definitely happened at Zynga. I think that the the public eye, uh, both, you know, how you green light certain projects, like what you invest in, how you like might optimize for like, shorter term revenue versus like long-term investments, like all that kind of started to fall into place. A lot of the people that I really respected and worked with started leaving. And that was definitely a big, a big contributor to my decision to leave because you know, the people that I was learning from and my, my, my mentors at the time were all kind of just gone. And I was like looking around, I was like, everybody was new. So it was definitely like, it was a good time to move on. Uh, and that just coincided with, you know, our desire to move out of San Francisco, just tr try to live somewhere else for a while. And New York just kind of happened to be the place that had both tech jobs and kind of like enough like, yeah, we're looking at like all these population centers of like, where can we find a tech job? Like, where can we find? My wife at the time was at Google. So, you know, it was kind of like she could potentially transfer. So we kind of did that. And the uh, Code Academy just had launched around that, I don't remember if it's summer or, yeah, I think it was summer. It was like 2011 or so. I remember seeing the coverage. I opened an account. I, you know, I tried it out. I was like, oh, this is really cool. But it was obviously like very geared for like, beginners, like absolute beginners. Mm -hmm. And when I was ready to like, you know, look for, look for a new role, I kind of reached out to my network and I don't remember how I met, how I got introduced to Code Academy. I, oh, I remember a recruiter that worked at Zynga had a friend who was another recruiter that was recruiting for Code Academy. I think everybody there was early twenties at, wow. at the time and they all worked really hard. They were really smart people. You know, one of their early engineers, Amjad, went on to start REPL.it. So like, uh, and like mm -hmm. an early version of REPL was like the basis for Code Academy, like the, the, the front end, like language server that, that he wrote. So a lot of smart people, obviously very hardworking, but also obviously like have this like amazing thing that is obviously popular, but then they kind of need to figure out how to turn it into a product and like 
that people pay for, which it was free for a long time. How do you build a company around it? How do you build a business? How do you grow? How do you hire? Like all these things that, not that I had a lot of experience with those things at the time, but I have, I think I had more experience than anybody else that, that they hired, which was also an important note. Like sometimes like you might have like five, six years of experience. Maybe you like take yourself out of the running for a job because you think, oh, well, they, they need somebody who was like much more senior than me. But in reality, they probably don't. In reality, they kind of need somebody who can bridge that gap. And then if they really start growing, maybe they'll hire like a, you know, a CTO or a VP of engineering, or maybe you grow into that role. Like mm-hmm. who knows? it's, it's one of those things. So, you know, like I, I got an offer from them, like the coding challenge was like, at that point I'd been like doing so much coding that like any coding challenge would have been like, whatever, it's not really that, that hard. Yeah. Just because the nature of, of, of Zynga, I did so much, so much work there that I'd gotten really, really good at it. And just like, Problem solving, writing code, like all those things were, were I was really sharp. Mm-hmm. One, one thing that I remember about 2011 is that I was sharp. That one year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're like, I'm, you cannot be stumped. You're like on your game. The, and, the, and also I felt like I was interviewing them more than they were interviewing me because yeah. they knew how to interview. Like they didn't know. <laughs> and that's also another important thing. Like sometimes you're going to be interviewing at a startup or a small company and the people interviewing you I don't know what they're doing and that's fine. But so maybe you're carrying the conversation. Like they have their like problem that they want to ask you or whatever, but you might be carrying the conversation. So it's up to you to kind of figure out like, okay, fine. Like there is obviously an experience here, but what can I add to that inexperience? Can I actually improve this environment? Can we, can I like elevate it in some way? Can I offer, you know, some structure to the thing? And then, you know, I asked them a bunch of different questions. Like I asked them like, why do they love working there? Like the, the traditional questions. But I also talk to them about what they do day to day. Like, mm-hmm. you know, who's who's managing you? What kind of like requirements do you have when you're building something? How do you decide what to build? Like what technologies are you on? Like how do you decide which technologies to use? And, you know, the, 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 the answers varied. They varied from like no idea to kind of like, well, how would you do it? They always would throw it back yeah, at me. Yeah, flip Yeah. So, the, you know, again, and it's, I think going to Code Academy was de-risk. I think you said that earlier in some way because it was already a popular product, had users. But the, the risk there wasn't like, oh, this company is going to fall apart tomorrow. It's more like, will this company make make it like five years? You know, like mm-hmm. they be, be able to stick around long enough to like either grow into a sustainable business or have an exit or whatever it is, right? So, and that that's the way that I was thinking about it. I was like, okay, well, this is small enough. Like, I think there were like less than 15 people at the, com- the time. I think engineering was like four or five, maybe six people total. And I kind of viewed it as, okay, like I'm gonna, going to join and see where I fit in in this, in this world. You know what I mean? Like, I think they already had kind of like really strong engineering leadership with, with, with Amjad and Ryan, who was the CTO co-founder. And they both were super smart and just hardworking. So I, I kind of like figured like, okay, like at the, you know, the infra level, the systems level, they didn't really have anybody at the time to like, mm-hmm. that was a little bit more experienced than, you know, than what they had. So I, I figured there was, there was definitely, there was, there was room there to grow for me personally, 27 at the time and everybody else was like 23. So yeah. So you're the, the older you're the gray, you're the gray. Right. The gray beard. Right. I, I, I remember dial up internet and everybody else didn't, you know, I mean, like shit like yeah. that. It's like, yeah. So that was it. That was like, and that was a whirlwind, you know, the first couple of years. And I met you, I think 
I moved out in like end of 2012. And I think I met you around maybe a year later or less than a year later. And that, you know, Code Academy was a ride. It was definitely, it's like, it's like a heart attack graph. It's like that company was a heart attack graph. It's, it's, it was ups and downs for the first couple of years. You know, we like lost a bunch of people when I first joined. Not a great sign. You first join somewhere and a bunch of people leave or quit. It's like, hey, <laughs> what is going on here? Then we, you know, we hired a, a, a different batch of people. That was like, that was really good. And that worked out for a while. And then it didn't, you know what I mean? So like growing a company is, it's hard. It's, it's, it's hard. It's hard to hire. It's hard to find, hard to attract good people. It's, it's hard to figure out what you need to build. It, it's hard. Sometimes it's just timing and luck. Like mm-hmm. sometimes it's like something you build is super successful. And, but what we always had going for us is that the brand, people loved the brand. People loved the fact that it was educational. The fact that it was like, you know, trying to teach people how to do, do the skill that was like mysterious to a lot of people. Right. Uh, I think it came at a good time uh, in the, just like in, you know, internet culture, tech culture, whatever you want to call it. It came at, a, at this time that was like, a little bit of a lull time right before this like crazy ride that was happening in tech, you know, 2014, 15, 16, 17. Um, and it was free. Free was, it was always good. I mean, it's good for, you know, brand value. It's, it's, not, it's, yeah. it's not necessarily great for the company itself. And our investors, to their credit, as far as we knew, I mean, I don't know, you know, if, if I talk to Zach about it, I'm sure he had some pressure for, from investors, but like, from our perspective, the investors kind of left us alone and wanted us to figure this out, you know? Yeah. And that's where I've been for the last 10 years. Are you a business owner in desperate need of talent, but you have issues finding good people? Or worse, you find the talent, but then they want you to pay them double what you have budgeted. Yeah, I know the feeling. This is where remotely talents can help. Imagine having a personal HR team that finds you A plus talent. And here's the best part. It costs you 40 or even 80% less than US employees. It's magic. So let's say you need help with setting up your social ads, your Google ads, email marketing, website development, customer service. Their team sources the top Ukrainian talent for you and they deliver three top vetted candidates straight to your inbox. It's a one-time payment, and best yet, they give you a 60-day guarantee to ensure you're happy. Hey, if it doesn't work out, they'll find and replace the talent for free. Even better, 3% of all sales go to the Children's Hospital in Ukraine. At Growth Head, our agency, we've hired four people from Ukraine. I am blown away by the level of work we're getting. So whether you need a virtual assistant or a creative director, Give this a try. Go to remotelytalents.com right now and start a conversation. See if they can help you. You really have nothing to lose. And I think it's worth noting, and you and I kind of talked about this at the start, is you and I have gone down two very different paths, whereas like I've I've like bootstrapped this agency, right? Which is a very different model as opposed to you, whether it's accidental or intentional because you're a savant with timing, you have timed things really well with Zynga pre-IPO jumping on that and then Codecademy as it's de-risked and up and coming because it's because I had my buddy Tommy Griffith on here. He he started Airbnb in the early days. And obviously, like it worked out very well for him as that went public. And it's worth calling out that Codecademy sold 
um, a couple of years ago to Skillsoft for $575 million. And so like you've like landed the plane very well on joining companies at these like key inflection points. And I think a lot of people, it's like, some people are like, oh, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to start something. But instead of having a whole piece of a small pie, you can have a small piece of this massive pie. I don't know if the, that was intentional and like thinking through those paths or like, as you reflect on it, you're like, oh, I did do the right thing. You're like, oh, actually, it's opened my eyes to like think about it differently. I think that it's it's definitely a combination. I think that you can't control luck. Like, I think luck is a huge, huge part of all this stuff. Like, mm-hmm. and by luck, I mean, not just like timing. I mean, like the people that you know, the people that you meet, like uh, the time where you exist, the fact that we're alive now, you know, I mean? like all these things are all luck, right? Uh, but uh, you know, more, more like if I really reflect on it, one thing that I really learned at Zingo, what, what happens when a company is successful for you as an employee, right? I joined Zynga relatively late, early, if that makes sense. <laughs> I was there early enough to like see something, see some benefit from the IPO. But obviously, since we're talking with you right now, I'm not on an island in Kauai or whatever, on the beach. You're right? wearing all diamonds. It's worth calling. I am wearing a lot of diamonds. But like, <laughs> my point is that like, like you don't know. Like, and being early is always better than being late. Like in, 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 in some, some aspects, like especially, yeah. in stars, right? Like the earlier you are, uh, the better it is. Uh, obviously being a founder is probably the best option, but that's also a lot of work and it's also hard to do. And it's also all these other things that are like a little bit like the next level. And like, depending on like life circumstance or whatever else, maybe that's not something you want to do. Maybe you're more interested in like building things and being behind the scenes. Like who knows? So I learned that thing of that, like, you know, joining like as like employee 200 of a rocket ship is not the same as like joining as employee like 100 of a rocket ship and not even the same as joining as employee 50 of a rocket ship. Right. So there's, yeah. that, there's a difference there. And, like your friend at Airbnb, I don't know how, how early he was at Airbnb, right? But like, say if he joined at like, you know, 50 versus like 100, his equity package is probably significantly different to where if Airbnb IPOs and like whatever they IPO at, he probably sees a pretty big difference. Um, Zynga's IPO wasn't necessarily the most successful IPO in the history of IPOs. Mm-hmm. It's like, like the stock price popped to like $15. And then in the six months that we were all locked out, because we're all like, you know, <laughs> uh, the stock price slowly fell to like $6, $5, whatever it was. Yeah. <laughs> Again, like you can't complain about any of these things because at the end of the day, it's like it's, it's money that somebody handed to you when you signed a contract that wasn't even real. Yeah. So I'm not really thinking about any of that stuff because it's not real. Like, yes, it's in theory, it's worth something, but a lot of people also lost a lot of money on this IPO because depending on like, what you do with the equity package, like you can exercise early, but then you're exercising at a price that might not be real when that you can actually sell. Oh, wow. You know, yeah. like there's all these things that are like come into it that like that are are they're all about timing. They're all about like timing and hindsight. If you hundred percent believe and you can afford it, maybe you you did everything perfectly and you're lucky. But for the most part, most people I think are kind of like don't really understand the details, are not really that interested in the details. And ultimately the details don't really make that much big of a difference for them financially or like day to day. So I didn't join Code Academy thinking that it's going to sell one day or IPO one day. Mm-hmm. 
I, I joined because I thought that like, it's going to help me with my skill set and what I wanted to do with my career, which was like grow both technically, but also like continue building things from scratch and owning things like end to end, like being control of my own destiny and like in terms of like what I'm able to work on. Like the best thing about a startup is that you get to do everything. Yeah. That's, that's like invaluable to me personally. Uh, you get to write code, you get to ship the code, you get to build the servers, you get to like be on call, you get to see your product used by by people, hopefully, you know, not, not always, but like um, you get to learn new technologies. Oh, someday somebody comes in and says, hey, we need to make it relevant to today's news. Like somebody comes in and said, hey, AI is eating the world. And you're like, what is AI? Like, what is ChatGPT? Like suddenly you're building a, you know, a ML cluster, or you're doing some sort of like big data stuff, or you're figuring out how to use some third-party API to like do something interesting with like predicting your churn model or whatever it is, right? Mm. So at a big company, you don't get to do a lot of those things. Like you just don't. It's it's not feasible for them. It's not feasible for you to be able to just like, I mean, maybe one or two people that are like the architects or principal engineers or like whatever can just choose where they like drop in. Mm. Um, but for the most part, uh, you kind of, you know, you work at a, a meta or a Google, you you are probably on a product and on a specific feature team of a product, right? Like, uh, and you don't get that breath, right? Like you just get kind of like, and I always like being a T in terms of my skill set. Like I like having, I like touching a lot of different things and seeing if I, if they interest me and seeing if I can like work in them. And honestly, that's what Code Academy has been from figuring out how to like hire people to structuring interviews, to doing like product stuff, to doing big data stuff. Code Academy has always had a lot of users. So we had a lot of data. We had a lot of like, we had a lot of traffic. So there's always stuff that you can kind of play with. There's a lot of virtualization stuff that, that I learned at Code Academy, like, you know, being exposed and working on like a container system that was like, you know, uh, pretty cool. Well, at least I think at the time it was pretty cool. Like there's all these things that are like, that I wouldn't have gone to do at a big company. So, um, you know, but back to kind of like, was it hindsight? Was it timing? Was it planning? It's like, I knew that I, I didn't want to be at a big company because then I'd become a big company by the time that I left. Yeah. And Everything else was bonus. Like the Zynga IPO was bonus. I didn't think that Zynga would IPO when I when I joined Zynga. I didn't know. I I just didn't know. There's no way for you to know. I didn't know that Code Academy ten years later will be will be sold. Like I didn't know. Like who knew? Like at in 2016 or 2017, we thought the company would fold. Like you know, what I mean, like we didn't know. There was no like. And you kind of work through it, you figure it out and you move forward. And then at some point, like, I mean, I think the Code Academy story is really a credit to Zach. I think Zach is really like the CEO and the founder, like he willed that place to both exist and kind of like to to succeed. And I think that that's like, and that's hard to do. And I think like when you find people like that, you kind of want to be in their orbit and you want to understand like, okay, like what are they thinking? Where maybe we're like, what, what will they do next? And I think people like that are, are really valuable to kind of like understand, like work with them, learn from them, uh, and maybe also teach them something because they might not be like technical or whatever else or marketing experts or whatever the thing is. And, um, you know, it's, 
it's timing, it's luck. It's there's some skill involved in like keeping the thing going and kind of like believing that it, it can be successful and and like being uh not being like beaten down by failure, right? That that's a hard one. Like people fail and kind of stop, or they fail multiple times and stop. Like you have to deal with like people leaving and going, people are getting frustrated from different for different things, people wanting to like, you know, change the culture, but not being able to change the culture. Like culture is a big thing at a company too. Like that's oh, yeah. who you hire, how you hire them. Uh, and, you know, especially a small team, every new person is an addition to culture that like completely change it. And, you know, being 10 years at, at, at a company, you kind of see different cultures. You see different, like different teams, different phases of teams. You know, the last phase of a team of like the company is not the same one that started, right? You see much oh, yeah. more experience, you see like all these things that are different. So um it's, you know, I, I'd love to tell you that it was like some sort of like calculated super move that I was like, oh yeah, I'm just gonna game theory this out, like figure out <laughs> worst case, like worst case, you know, I'll meet a bunch of people, I'll live in New York and I'll have vodka with Jim, like, you know, at a bar or whatever. Yeah. And, like, but reality it's like I think it's timing. I was young. I had flexibility. I figured spend my twenties working somewhere like interesting in an interesting place. And the worst thing that can come out of it is that I meet a bunch of people and I learn a bunch of stuff. And yeah. the best, the best thing that can happen is that you know maybe I make some money down the line. Like I don't know. Uh, as as somebody who's not starting a company, as somebody who's like you know is very much like consciously joining as like. Um, I don't like to use the term operator, but like as like somebody was joining at like that level of like, okay, fine. Like you did the hard work of raising money. I'm here to help you. Like like the scale up phase almost or the growth phase. I think there's there's a couple of phases there. I think like, you know, Code Academy had like, I think they raised money really early because I think they raised a lot of money really early before they even had like any almost. So for them is that they had money that they had to, to go out and hire those people. I don't know if that's, Typical, to be absolutely honest. But I think they're yeah. kind of like a YC. So I think that helps, right? So on that perspective. Yeah, some good escape velocity out of there. It's a fun thought exercise. If someone's looking to do the next thing, it's like jump on something that's been de-res past point market fit, but you can still like hopefully have... I think you, I think, I really do think you have to view it as like, what does this do to your skill set and your plans uh, no matter if it's successful or not. Like, yeah, like that the, worst case scenario is like you live in New York and you learn a lot of stuff and it still opens up a lot of doors. Yeah. And I, and it's like, it's one of those things that you look, again, when you're young and, you know, now with kids, you have kids, like it's a different calculus around like, and that, not to blame the kids, kids are not the problem. <laughs> like I'll plenty of people start companies with kids, but I think the difference is like, um, you know, it's, you have to start thinking about like, well, what kind of parent do you want to be too, right? Like, yeah, you start thinking about like, what kind of, what kind of partner you want to be, like what kind of whatever you want to be and maybe start a company that doesn't fit that. And that's enough. Yeah, yeah, no. uh, but totally. we're maybe working hard at a startup does like, who knows? Like that, that's totally, that's totally a thing. It's like, yeah. you can work really hard at a startup and be early at a startup and, and have a lot of impact and grow into a role and learn a lot of skills and be very happy. Like, and what, one thing you and I were talking about, like, I'm very envious of people that have a technical mind because when it comes to growth or marketing or scaling, really knowing how things work and function when it comes to the internet or, or websites, you, you look at things from a different perspective, right? Thinking through like virality or referral mechanisms or just like 
you know, by the way, like we should in, like do engineering as marketing and make this Chrome extension. And that becomes like a whole distribution channel. I'd love to get your thoughts on like, you know, how do you think about that? Like if all of a sudden tomorrow, who's like, ideally is a CTO or director of engineering, you're like, you have to put on this growth and marketing hat. Like, well, how do you approach or what are things you've seen done by like technical teams where you're like, that's super impressive? Well, I think so. I guess a few things. Um, the amount of resources out there right now is just insane. Like the amount of resources in terms of like examples of what people are doing, um, how to integrate with certain like channels or how to use certain platforms, tutorials, like YouTube tutorials, TikTok tutorials, Instagram, like whatever you want. There's just so much out there. It's crazy. It's, it's honestly overwhelmingly crazy. Um, but I think that's how, if, if, you know, if I was put into like a, a growth marketing role right now and I was told to like figure out how to market like product X, right? Um, I would see how much I can do through like automation with existing tools that I already have. So like, you know, if we're integrating with uh, an email marketing platform, right? Are we utilizing all the features that that, that marketing platform offers? Well, I think a lot of times, um, you know, if you're a marketing person with, without necessarily technical know-how, uh, you kind of understand what, what it does, but maybe you're not utilizing it to its full extent in some ways. Maybe... Maybe the events that you're sending to this like uh, email marketing uh, tool are not formatted correctly. Maybe uh, maybe you're missing some attributes that could be very useful. Uh, maybe the data is um, is is too messy. Maybe there are technical issues with like how it's, like I've seen a bunch of integrations where like you know you're collecting all this data and then you're firing it at, at like an email tool and you're doing only really like the most basic of funnels, you know, like, oh, like somebody like logged in, there's a login event, let's send them an email. That's like a basic funnel. But yeah. you're not doing a lot of like interesting, like, and this is like, you know, early on, like out of, I'm sure companies that are grow, they, they figured this out. But early on in a company, like figuring out like where your data is, how the tools that you already have, how are they using those data? And what are you actually getting from those tools? I think like a lot of BI tools, a lot of marketing tools are not, like we integrate with them, but a lot of people don't really know how to like engage with them. And they know, if they know how to engage with them, they know how to do it from like a business sense. They don't really necessarily understand how exactly it works. What does it mean for like, how does the data live? Where, where is the live? How is it triggered? What can you control? Um, what volume means? Like how much volume can they actually handle? Uh, how much volume backwards can your servers handle? Right. Sometimes like you're doing, they're sending traffic back to you in a way that's like, like data traffic back to you that you can be utilizing that data for. Like I think one example is like, Dunning for subscriptions or something like that. Mm. Like a lot of that Dunning data early on, we just didn't really know what to do with it. Like, what's the right funnel flow for it? If you don't have like a strong like product person, and you don't have like you have like very you're kind of trying to figure out marketing on your own. Uh, how do you utilize all this stuff? Like, it's not clear. And I think like having like some technical know-how helps you there. I think being able to automate also helps, like through either scripting or some sort of like automated like platforms like that makes sense to me. Um, but I'm not like, I'm not a marketer. I don't. Yeah. You know, you bring up a good point. Like some of the best like accidental hires we made for marketing that we've started doing more of is one is people that are really technical or, or people that are good at processing systems and project management. Cause like I do like connecting tools, but I'm actually not great at it. I'm super 
slow. And like, I will then dedicate it to like our, our technical team. They do it so fast. And like, oh, and by the way, like you can take in all these different segments or whatever. Like, oh, that's amazing. Or like, same as we're looking at our website from an SEO perspective. Like, oh, we can actually automate the creation of these pages. And it's like helping how much we send to like, the to Google to crawl. You're like, oh, wow, I, I didn't think about that. There's even this idea of like a chief automation officer to just free up your time. And so we've been playing around with that. And I think technical people can think at a level of speed and scale that a lot of times others don't. Because I was like, oh, let's test cold. Especially, I think especially now because the tools for automation are are so out of the box a lot of times these days. There's not, yeah. not only is there a lot of examples, but say that like, Say you're running a product that's already on a, I don't know, like a, say a Kubernetes cluster or some sort of like a, a automated containerized cluster, right? Um, a lot of your automated workflows probably run in that cluster and like being able to scale those up and down, being able to create new jobs to run in that, in that cluster. That's all like a click away at this point. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of this stuff is so well automated and, and available is that like, I don't know if, I don't know if like when when a marketing person joins a startup, I don't know if like startups like go through like, hey, this is what's available for us for you to use. Yeah, here's the full tech stack. Yeah, here's the, like, like, here's the full tech stack. These are like the, say you're on AWS, like these are the AWS systems that we use, right? Um, maybe you're using like big, like Athena or something. Maybe you're using uh, Kafka. Maybe you're using like all these things that are like, the, the person doesn't need to know the details of it. If you just describe to them what it does, I think, feel like that gives them enough to think about their job. And it's yeah. like Tomorrow, I've got a, I've thought of your next startup idea you didn't want to start. It needs to be a technical marketers on call, kind of like Geek Squad, but for technical marketers, where it's like you are underutilizing all of these tools that you pay way too much money for. We will parachute in, do an audit assessment setup, and then we'll do ongoing maintenance because we need that recurring revenue. And we just scale it to the moon. Well, I, I mean, I like it. This is, why, this is why you're the idea guy. I like it. <laughs> well, that okay. So I meant to send you this question ahead of time, but we'll just do it right now. Um, and I'll do it live. I do it live. I want to get any half big startup ideas that you have. Obviously, you are very happy at your company but what do you have any half big startup ideas where you're like someone should make that or maybe there's one that's you've been kicking around for a while and i'll even kind of like lead the witness here a little bit like you have experience in gaming you've had experience working at nasa you also have experience with probably building tools at bigger companies that you could export out to give to people um is there anything that comes to mind or even like you could lean into like ai or categories you're excited about that like you would be going to her. Because if Tamor got fired right now and you couldn't get a full-time job and you oh, had to man. start something. I'm like, sweating when you say that. When you say that. <laughs> oh, God. No. Um, you know, I, I've i been uh, really thinking a lot about uh, actually not nothing necessarily consumer-focused, which I think is probably where, where you're mostly interested. Well, actually, I'm more excited about boring B2B SaaS companies because that's where the... Not even the B2B. I, the things that I like to use are all like... Call them like the plumbing of the internet, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm very excited about this. Keep going. Right. So like, so there's... I, f- I feel like there's, you know, there's like... A, Consumer space, like you sell stuff to people, you, you, you know, like 
it's uh, yeah. I feel like you you're always like on the whims of like whatever whatever people are into, yeah, and I feel like you know, yeah, like. I feel like businesses, you know, businesses are a little bit more predictable because they probably all have very similar problems, right? Like they have uh, either they have like a mishmash of technology that doesn't fit together that they kind of want to fit together or they want to like reduce costs. So they want to like find the next big thing that will let them leverage the latest, you know, sexy marketing uh, tech, you know, AI is the big one these days. Uh, so like, can you be, uh, you know, a plumber in this, in this, like, in this space? Like, I feel like there's a lot of, um, and by the way, plumbing is very important. That without plumbing, <laughs> I think we would all suffer a lot. So I, I have a lot of respect for plumbers. Um, uh, so it's not like a glib comparison, I think. But the, the the point is that, like, um, I feel like we're entering this new, maybe in this new paradigm. Like, I, I don't know. I'm not a, like a predictor of things. I, I you're not a futurist. I'm not yeah. a futurist. I feel like if you go out there and, and, you know, start to like do a lot of research on AI and whatever else, I'm sure you'll see a million opinions about how it's going to change everything. Um, but then like, is, is this change going to actually come that fast? Like, I, I don't know. I, I also don't know if like, uh, companies are going to be able to adopt all this stuff really, really that fast without really auditing like the legal implications of like using some of these, you know, open source models for various things. Right. Like, you know, if you're using like, fine, you you, you want to integrate like open API, open AI API into your app, like that's great. But is that something that like you'd want to do, right? Like yeah. in terms of like protecting your IP and all these other things, right? So I, I don't know about that, but I do know that like the problems are probably going to be similar, right? Like I'm not talking about like the uh, Googles or the Microsofts or whatever of the world, they're going to have their walled gardens of like tech, like they do now, they have. You know, they have their own clouds, they have their own APIs, they have their own libraries, they have their own like languages, they have their own tech, basically. And AI is just going to be a competitive advantage for them that's just going to grow and grow. And they're going to kind of like lock it behind this like garden of stuff. And the people working there most likely will just be very adept at like working at, with those tools, right? And like with that, with those APIs. But everybody else, um, you're outside the garden, right? So how do you? take a model and like, how do you grow it? How do you like train it? How do you interact with it? How do you like, and there are tools to do that now for sure, I'm sure. But I think that like the tools that exist now are probably great for like, um, like scrappy startups full of like hackers that have like, mm -hmm. hackers is a loaded word, but full of people that like, you know, love to code and love to figure this shit out and they can maybe do it. Um, but most companies, I think the majority of companies and big companies too, like, you know, the banks of the world or the insurance companies of the world or whatever it is, they're going to have like some serious, like, you know, reservations about like giving their information to like, oh my gosh, those models and like all the data to make those models. Yeah, so, yeah. so they'll probably also want to like do that. Right. And, uh, but then when you start entering that world, enterprise world or whatever, you start talking about compliance and you start talking about security. And you start talking about all those fun things that make you know, enterprise the enterprise world like super slow and whatever else. But it's also like very predictable in some ways because right? I think the problems are going to be somewhat similar. Um, I'm just meandering at this point. I don't really actually have an answer. Well, for actually, can I like say back to you the framework that you did that I think is really smart? So first, it's like, let's do this as like a fork and word, like startup idea. Should you do B2B or B2C? 
go B2B, go where there's line items, more predictable, B2C, two cycle. That's one. The second is look at these big companies and this infrastructure they have. And then guess what? So many other people don't have it that aren't Microsoft, Amazon, um, Google, Meta. And it's like, okay, what's like the special tech stack they have behind that garden? What is the plumbing of the internet? And then boom, like that's where your idea emerges, right? And so if, if you could just hone in on that and tell me that, and then you build it and I sell it, I think we'd be in a really good spot. So wait, one thing that I was thinking about, and I don't even know if this is possible, to be absolutely honest, because I haven't, I haven't done the research. You know, I haven't done the work or whatever. I don't know if that was a... Uh, the, Doing your own research was a popular line item through COVID, right? People mm-hmm. own their own research. So I <laughs> do my own research on this. So don't, don't take it as gospel. Um, but um, things like, um, um, say you have an e-commerce site, right? like you, you're not Amazon, but you're like a middle of the road, like seller of something. And you have a catalog of things that you're selling and you have all these events associated with like users like, interacting with your site. Um, how do you drop in like, um, AI feature set into that into that type of like environment, right? Like, mm-hmm. how do you take, uh, how do you train a model on your data? How do you do it effectively, efficiently, like really fast? Uh, and then how do you translate uh, some of your existing code to match that? So, say you have like a search feature, right? And the you know, most search features are probably like backed by you know whatever a database query or some sort of like Elasticsearch mm-hmm. cluster or something. And they're most likely working with like very structured like data that is meant to be searched in a certain way. And it's like, you know, it's a keyword search and it gives you like this like fuzzy thing. But it doesn't let you the ability to be like, hey, I want to buy sneakers for a fat 6.2. I'm describing myself. For a fat <laughs> 6.2 guy that doesn't run. That doesn't run, but likes to walk a lot. Like, give me yeah. some comfortable. Like, I want to say this. Mm. The thing. Like, how do you build that feature uh, for like a dude, shop, Shopify plug and let's go. That's a great exact, idea. Especially exactly. if so like a lot of skews. Exactly. So <laughs> like you, 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 like how do you plumb that to be available to anybody that wants it to be available to the, to the t-shirt resellers that sell t-shirts on like whatever, you know, Instagram or TikTok or whatever. Uh, so, and how do you make that just available for everybody? Yeah. Like, without it, not not even about charging, but just like like so they can compete. So like Amazon doesn't eat them when Amazon has like you know whatever. Not that Amazon is not eating them anyway; they're eating everybody. Like the point is that like, how do you give the tools to these like people outside of the garden to compete? Right. Mm-hmm. As I feel like as 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 long as the tools are kind of guarded and, and locked away in some way and behind like a lot of barrier to entry. Which I think, which is, I think, what was kind of like what made Code Academy really appealing to people. Like it demystified uh, coding in a lot of ways, right? Like, yeah, barrier to entry. the playing field. It's like, here you go, it's free. You know? Yeah, the, the barrier to entry with coding is like, it's not just like learning the languages and understanding. It's also like setting up your environment, installing the right libraries, like having a computer that fucking works. You know, like, pardon my, mm-hmm. this is a PG rated podcast. But it's hard now, but that's okay. Yeah, uh, but yeah, but you know what I mean. Like it's like it's like if you if you're somewhere where laptops like you know a MacBook M1 is not readily available for you, and you're coding on you know a computer from 2004 because of circumstance because you weren't lucky enough to you know, whatever be born somewhere else. Um, how do you you know Code Academy was great because you could just use it in a browser and that's it. All you needed is internet, which is a lot of barrier to entry, but. <laughs> 
but and how do you do the same with AI? Like, how do you do the same with all these tools? How do you do the same with like crypto and like all these things? And that that's kind of like what I've been thinking a lot about. I don't really have any any specific ideas. I'm not really a, a good idea person, but I will try to build anything. That's that's yeah. that's the fun of it. All right. Well, let me know when I can throw a million ideas at you because you actually, I don't, whether you're not a good idea guy or not, you're a good idea gen like helper generator i don't know i'll, I'll workshop what it a is. whiteboard a yeah, whiteboard or oh, a board yeah. uh, idea board you do you do love a good whiteboard um but um uh, but no man that, that that's that's pretty cool and i think even just like the way you go through that prompt of a question it's totally different from how i naturally think because i think i am good about like thinking of problems to solve but that like thought process was actually really cool and helpful to see but um i want to ask you a question it's a hard question. It's a, the one I like to end these podcasts oh, with. Oh, I like it. Is, um, what is the nicest thing anyone's done for you in your professional career? It could be opening a door. It could be tough love. Someone telling you something you didn't you didn't want to hear. Like what what is something that comes to mind when you get that prompt? Oh man, um, I think there's definitely been a few of those in my in my in my life. I think that that first manager at Zynga, he definitely had a had a, a a brand of tough love that was that was very interesting. Like the the times in my career where I was able to like reach out to people that were much more senior for like advice or whatever, like just know what you want, do it, be concise, be clear, and and people will help. People are super super generous with with their time. The other thing that I I kind of was surprising in that process is that it's always not who you think will help you will help you. It's right? yeah. most likely, most likely not your closest friends. It's not going to be your closest friends that will help you find your next role. Mm-hmm. If you're kind of like in that process of trying to look for a new job, it's most like, and this is something I learned from my wife, actually, um, uh, where like, you know, you reach out to your friend's network or your professional network and the people that you least expect are the ones that kind of step up and, and offer a good advice or offer an introduction or offer whatever. So you have to be really wide with that net. Don't think about just the people that are uh, within your immediate, like, you know, friend circle or whatever, or like people you went to college with. Go wide on LinkedIn, like go wide. And the wider you go, you, you're going to meet people that are in different parts of their journey. Maybe their journey is to like, you know, mentor somebody or their journey is to like, like grow something or make introductions and they'll help you. And, and that's, that, that was really interesting because I always thought like, oh, you rely on like the people closest to you. But in reality, the people closest to you are the least likely to actually um, help you in, in, in the process of like either starting a, a company or like finding a new job or whatever it is. No, man, it's, it's so true. And that's good advice. And it's like, I don't know, it's funny, those managers that can start as toxic or tuck, tough love and end up being the ones you learn the most from. But um, cool. Well, Tamor, thanks for coming on, man. It was super fun. I hope you really enjoyed all those folksy, folksy little anecdotes about this was uh, to, to the audience. This was without any preparation. This was just off the cuff. Jim and I just wanted to catch up. But then this had turned out and turned into this. Yeah, I made him hit record. So cool man I'll give a few plugs first I send a weekly newsletter each Thursday featuring five articles or tools that have helped me you can sign up for these weekly updates at jimwhuffman.com second for anyone running a startup if you need help growing your business check out growth hit 
GrowthHit serves as your external growth team. After working with over 100 startups and generating a quarter billion in sales for clients, GrowthIt has perfected a growth process that's hell-bent on driving ROI through rapid experiments. Plus, you'll get to work with yours truly. So if you want to work with a team that's worked with startups that have been funded by Andreessen Horowitz or featured on Shark Tank, then check out GrowthHit.com. And finally, I wrote a book called The Growth Marketer's Playbook that takes everything I've learned as a growth mentor for venture-backed startups, and I've distilled it down to 140 pages. So instead of hiring a growth team, save yourself some money, get the book, and you can just do it yourself. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I'd love to hear feedback. I'm on Twitter at Jim W. Huffman. Are you a business owner in desperate need of talent, but you have issues finding good people? Or worse, you find the talent, but then they want you to pay them double what you have budgeted. Yeah, I know the feeling. This is where remotely talents can help. Imagine having a personal HR team that finds you A plus talent, and here's the best part, it costs you 40 or even 80% less than US employees. It's magic. So let's say you need help with setting up your social ads, your Google ads, email marketing, website development, customer service. Their team sources the top Ukrainian talent for you and they deliver three top vetted candidates straight to your inbox. It's a one-time payment and best yet, they give you a 60-day guarantee to ensure you're happy. Hey, if it doesn't work out, they'll find and replace the talent for free. Even better, 3% of all sales go to the Children's Hospital in Ukraine. At Growth Head, our agency, we've hired four people from Ukraine. I am blown away by the level of work we're getting. So whether you need a virtual assistant or a creative director, give this a try. Go to remotelytalents.com right now and start a conversation. See if they can help you. You really have nothing to lose.